Hello and welcome to the latest Forever Blue podcast. My name is Ian Cheeseman, Forever Blue, meaning that is about Manchester City because they are forever blue. Um, I'm a long-standing journalist stroke fan of Manchester City, Ian Cheeseman, and if you found me on YouTube, you'll see that I do a match day vlog on every game. And the match day vlog that I did after the Brighton game, I would recommend you watch. Um, if only because, first of all, there was a tribute from to Francis Lee from his uh, his godson, Will Perry, who is a renowned broadcaster, who, by the way, will be joining us on the podcast a little bit later on. But also my friend Mark, who, as some people saw on social media, is being treated at Willow Wood Hospice at the moment. And the football club, Manchester City, actually took the four trophies that the club hold around to Willow Wood and propped them up there next to his bed so that he could see them at close proximity and have a picture with them, which I thought was absolutely lovely and, and a, a really classy thing of the club to do. Um, so have a look at that and you'll see, because Mark is on the video thanking all the fans for all the great support that they've had. So if you if you want to have a look at that, then you check me out on, on uh, the YouTube channel. But here on the audio podcast, um, not only will Will Perry be joining us a little later on, but also David White, the former Manchester City midfielder uh, or full or winger or whatever you, you want to call him, will give us his analysis of the Brighton game. Uh, first thing, though, before I introduce the two guests who are with me right now, I want to say big thanks to Amar Development UK, who are the sponsors of this podcast. Um, the, way, the easiest way to identify what they're up to because they deal with uh, real estate, etc., is at the Stockport Pyramid. And so if you're familiar with the Manchester area, which is next to the M60, is one of their properties. They're redeveloping it at the moment. It's going to be a three-level event centre, restaurant and event centre. And it promises to be um, an extraordinary development. That, but that's not the only thing they do. They do loads of stuff. So thanks very much to Amar Development for their sponsorship of the podcast. So uh, the two that are with me at the moment are my two guests are Tony, who is one of our regulars. So uh, thanks very much for joining us, Tony, once again. Always a valuable contribution. And we have a newbie. We have a um, uh, somebody who's not been on the podcast before. Um, they call them rookies, don't they? You know, he's a rookie. Mm. Um, and his name is Jake, and uh, he's a student and he's a big City fan, of course, who interviewed me for his uh, university course, and I thought he did very well. So uh, I thought, well, let's get him on the podcast, see what he sounds like on the podcast. So Jake's with us as well. So thanks very much, Jake. Right, um, let, let's start with Tony. Um, first of all, the Brighton game. I, I mean, I know that um, you don't always get manage to get to the games, Tony. Uh, but then lots of City fans don't. You know, we, we consume it as, as best we can. And I know it's a three o'clock kickoff, so I don't know whether you've had a chance to really watch the full game or you've just um, sort of listened to it or whatever. But from what you've heard and what you've seen in recent weeks with the, the defeats at, at Newcastle and then an Arsenal and Wolves and everything, what, what, what are City up to at the moment in your eyes? Well, I wasn't able to make today's game. I've just um, recently come out last Friday from having a knee operation, so I'm just recovering at the moment. Best wishes um, for recovery on you. that. Thank you. Um, but, yeah, in regards to the game today, uh, I was fortunate that uh, I, I was able to listen to the game more so rather than actually watch it, uh, which obviously is slightly different. But um, it did, I think because I've listened to games before now, it, it, you, you can kind of get the idea of, of how we're playing. Um it was a bit of a strange game, and I would probably say, uh, and and Jake, I understand, obviously went to the game, so obviously he can probably uh, 
um, fill a little bit more in regards to how it how it was received, obviously from actually being there. Um, but it did feel pretty much a, a game of two halves that we kind of just did enough. Although we had plenty of ball as we usually do, we just did enough in them uh, them first two goals, and then we kind of didn't play the same um, in in the second half. And I think that we we kind of kind of sat back, and yet the best way um, that, that that City like to play is when they're going forward and pressing and, and being sort of at a different level than usually the opposition rather than kind of relaxing back and letting them come on to you. Um, I thought it was a really good lineup today. I thought it was probably the strongest lineup he possibly could have put out. Um, obviously, uh, KDB wasn't there, but other than that, you know, it's pretty much a, a good side. It had options there in order that if we were under threat, there was the option of obviously additional um, uh, height there in going back for set pieces, corners, etc., etc. Obviously, the risk of interrupting your flow here, yep. Tony. Um, mm-hmm. Would Ruben Diaz not have been in your strongest eleven? No, but I'm, I'm, I mean, in terms of in terms of the actual today's game and in relation to the game that we're going to be playing on Wednesday, um, I feel comfortable with the with the side that he played today, knowing that he's got the options like with Grealish and the likes of. Um, playing in the game on Wednesday, so I had no problem. I didn't feel it was like a B team or anything like that. Um, I, I thought it was a very, very a good side to what he could have put out. Um, and and I just thought that we tried to kind of limp through the game. Um, um, and in terms of right, we don't pick up any injuries. We've got two goals. Let's um, let's sit back and, and and just kind of cruise through the game. And then obviously the second half, um, Brighton as we expected. Um, because they are a decent side anyway. They they come back and slowly come back into the game. I thought there are two substitutions, Fatty um, coming on, um, who is a very experienced player, obviously over a, he's on loan from Barcelona, I think. Um, he looked a real threat um, and looked and made a bit of a difference as well. And I think the problem is that when you lose that momentum, um, which City did, I think it was very, very difficult to uh, get back. Um, so, we probably just probably just about did enough. Uh, in regards to Haaland, obviously, I was really pleased that, that Haaland scored because I think it needed to. Um, just going back a couple of games, and it, it was a little bit of a, 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 an issue that I kind of um, was a, really surprised at, is that uh, when we went up to Newcastle, um, it, it, was quite, it was quite common knowledge that obviously he wasn't going to play his so-called bigger stars. Now, bearing in mind that those so-called bigger stars, including Haaland and what have you, were going to be sat on the bench. They'd also probably been on a coach for three hours and three hours coming back. So for me, so sitting there around about for, for sort of six, eight hours, it really didn't make sense to me that, that there was really no intention that Haaland was going to play. Now, I think if you then forward on to the next game, uh, which I think was the Wolverhampton game, you've got a player there that, that probably could have scored because Newcastle were there in that first half game, and I don't want really to kind of harp on about a game that's lost, but ultimately there was a game there. There was a there was a there was a chance there to have actually laid down a marker and obviously got that got that result because Newcastle themselves were doing pretty much what we were doing in the sense that they played a team that was okay, but obviously they had reserves on the bench, and I just felt it was one of those games that whoever made that first choice of bringing on their more experienced players were going to win the game, but then City once they'd gone one 0 down. They never. They said, right. Well, we're one nil down, and we're happy to be one nil down, and we'll take that as long as we don't get hammered. So that to me is a little bit frustrating because if you if you're not going to take them players, then don't bring them with you on on the bus. 
let them have a rest because if anyone is pick, everyone has got any injuries, and especially muscle injuries that you sat around for that length of period of time, surely that that can't be a, a benefit. So I was really really surprised at that, and so I'm not surprised. So going back to the Harland situation, I'm not surprised that when you go through a situation like that, that you actually need to get on and and, and have game time. Um, because all that does then, it puts pressure onto the next game, which obviously against Wolves was the same. Um, so that that was a little bit frustrating for me. But in regards to Haaland today, um, he you know he did what he needed to do. I think it was a relief when he scored uh, because I think he himself, you know, once you start getting to five and six games and that, then obviously you need you need something whether it goes off any part of your body. Um, so I was really pleased from that. Um, I thought his work rate again. Listening um, to the uh, to the radio, so obviously I couldn't see it. I thought his work rate was there, but I just think from generally from the whole team towards the um, middle second half, Rodri included, we just seemed to just take our foot off the pedal um, and looked at and sounded uh, a little bit lethargic. Um, but obviously, like I say, Jake is probably going to be able to tell us a little bit more because he was he was there in sight. But other than that, we wanted a win. We got a win. Um, and I think as we um, as we go forward, there will be other games um, featuring some of our rivals who will drop points. So um, you know we've we've done what we can do, and we've beaten we've beaten another team that's one less, and it's one less game to play. Well, that's interesting. We'll perhaps come back to uh, those thoughts in in a few moments. But Jake, you, as uh, Tony's alluded to, you were at the game. I was at the game. Um, what what did you think of today, particularly? But City at the moment? Well, I think hit the nail on the head with it being a game of two halves. I think it was a similar to the Nottingham Forest a couple of weeks ago. It was as flawless as you're going to see a City performance in the first half. We didn't really give much away and we looked like, especially with when we were feeding Docker, it was, we were getting a bit of joy. But then we come back out for the second half and I know Forest was different circumstances with the early Rodri red card. We just—it seemed—it seems slow, and it's as time goes on, especially against the good teams like a good team like Brighton, they're going to create a chance. And I mean, it was a bit of a half chance that they caught us in transition from an Alvarez shot from distance. But it doesn't seem that we're not conceding very good goals. Like the, the goals we've conceded in the Premier League, this, they're coming in such cheap ways from corners or on the counter attack and bounces around the box. But I think. We got the we got the job done, and it's it's good to see this team suffer. I know it sounds a bit strange, but it's good to see, especially if when we get into the, the games like next weekend against United, and especially in the Champions League, we have the know how to to grind through a result when we need it. Because I know we've seen them do it many a time, and that's why we've been champions so often. But it's good to just have the the refresher every now and then that we're not going to just paced everyone four five nil every week we are gonna we are gonna be in a game as far as we are this season we've not really got going I think the the six win the five six wins to start the season after the community shield and then the Champions League I think it papered over a couple of cracks that we've not really got going and it's good to see that we're still well, we're, we're, we're top or joint top now after the Arsenal result but it's good to see that we're still in and around the top two, top three, without really getting going. And we, we missed John Stones for a couple of months and it, it was good to see him back. We looked so much more solid with him and Rodri back. And then we've got De Bruyne to come back in the next in the next couple of weeks, months, whenever it may be. I think it's... The levels are going to have to be raised, which is usually... We, we, we often see this with City starting slow. 
and then sort of building, ramping things up towards Christmas. So we, we could see changes with Pep in the next few weeks and we could just go on another winning streak. But I think it's, I was I was happy with today, but it, I don't want it to be continuing. Yeah, fair comments, I think. Um, all right, well, we'll come back and, and talk more generally in a moment or two, but um, uh, David White would have been quite happy to join us while we were re recording this, but unfortunately he's not available at the time we're doing it. But I did get a chance to speak to him outside the ground immediately after the final whistle. Um, you will hear an ambulance go past, which will prove to you that it was authentically outside the stadium after the game. Uh, but uh, here is the former City winger, David White, giving us his thoughts initially on the Brighton game. So, David, uh, talking just after the Brighton game, just just tell us, first of all, what you thought of it. Um, yeah, it was, a, it was an interesting game, wasn't it? Early, early on, it looked like we were, you know, going to be... We were really dominant early on. A lot of... Uh, a lot of success down the left-hand side. Doku's obviously put a really different emphasis down there. Very different player to uh, to Grealish, which really interests me. The way he's he's decided he's going to make that change for for the time being, because he really is a, a, a diff very very different player. Um, element of luck to to both the goals, but you know the luck does come in football, and uh, you've got to capitalise on it, which we, we did for both the goals. Uh, and it looked like it was going to be comfy, but all credit to to Brighton, they. They kept plugging away, um, made one or two changes, tactical changes. Uh, very good on the ball, you know, very good pass to the ball, and you know we're probably deserved. Maybe whether they deserve to uh, for it to be so close at the end is a, is another matter, but they certainly deserve to. I think to to put up a challenge and not and not get a drub in four or five, and it, it was very very close at the end of the game, and we're fortunate to not fortunate, but it, we you know it's great that we've been managed to get the three points. I know you played some some of your football down the middle, but yeah. you were principally a winger. So I'm guessing you're looking at Doku, comparing him to perhaps what you did and other wingers have done. What do, what do you make of him so far? I don't. I, I think the. I think he's he's great. He's really positive. Um, I think uh, obviously in Grealish, the, the manager clearly wants us to maintain possession of the, of the ball, and that's what I find really interesting. That he's decided that he's. For the time being, he's going to make this change to a not just to a different player, but to a, a really, really different player. He, he, he definitely puts puts the ball at risk more than uh, more than Grealish does. Uh, so whether that's a, a fundamental change the manager made, I don't know. In terms of he, me, he, he makes. He, I know what he's saying. He definitely takes a risk, but he also creates a lot more, doesn't he? Well, he, well, yeah, exactly that. But but. You know the the inevitable result of that, and, and like going back, because I would, as a as a wide a wide player, I'd take a lot more risk. You, you know, I, I I'd like to think that, you know, most times I got the ball, I would try and do something really really positive. And and the inevitable outcome of that is you're going to give the ball away a lot more. That's just that's just that's just football. And it seems you know the the manager was very sort of anti that. You know, I don't think he'd have got anywhere near the manager's team when he when that's in his mind. Um, if you if you really take chances, push it back a full back, you're maybe going to get some corners. You're going to get crosses in. You're going to get crosses in Rosehead. Anything can happen, can't it? But you know, I was fortunate in terms of in terms of at the end of all that, I did tend to get goal, get goals and assists. Um, uh, so I, I don't know. Doku's I think somewhere in the middle. He, he does. Uh, he, he's a lot more positive than Grealish in terms of wanting to go past the man. He's, he's clearly got more pace. 
but then he does put the brakes on a little bit and, and clearly the manager has said don't just then throw it in the box which was very much what I would do um, you know people will talk to me about even even the goal in the in the 5-1 and Hitchcliffe's goal and say what a fantastic cross was that and, and to me no I just put the ball in the put the ball in the box I had no idea he was there it wasn't you know it, it was an f- unbelievable header um, from a position where he wasn't really entitled to score a goal um, so there, there are some, I, I would say, not so subtle differences. The, the, the really big differences, but clearly Doku, when he gets into those, and he does get into, he does get beyond the fullback more than than Grealish has been doing. Um, but he still does seem to put the blocks on a little bit, and he's then got it in his mind. And I, I can't now give this ball away. And there's the difference. I, I will just then throw it in the box and let's see what comes out of this. You're right, it's a fascinating thing to watch evolve because of the difference between those two players. Last week on the podcast, we did quite a lengthy chat on Haaland and uh, one of our contributors, who is called Haaland, mm-hmm. um, was quite critical of the fact that City are now too focused on Haaland and obviously he scores goals and you can't argue with his numbers, but that sometimes some of City's creativity has gone. By the way, we're recording this outside the stadium, if you're wondering... There's an ambulance just going past if you're wondering what the noise is. So, anyway, coming back to what we're talking about, that City have become less creative around. Now, Doku, you could argue, has been brought in to supply Haaland, but are City limited now by the fact that they are always obsessed with trying to find Haaland? I, mean, I suppose Niall Quinn was in the side when you were there, so was there a bit of that then? Uh, we, we obviously got a lot of criticism for becoming... Um, a long ball team and but you you, you didn't see the fans um, having a go at us when those long balls were you know you look at the back to 1991 in the Villa game I get four goals a lot of those goals come from long balls and Quinny flicking on and, and whilst that's happening and it's successful the, the crowd are loving it and it's not unattractive football uh, and, and Quinny when you've got somebody who's six foot four in your team and very good in the air, which Quinny was, Quinny was one of the best in the air. And the thing that Quinny had was um, he was a great passer of the ball with his head. He, he very rarely needed to jump. He, he, was, he was strong because of his stature. He could hold men off and, and stop them from jumping against him. So therefore, he would almost let the ball land on his head when he's still in control of his body, in control of his feet, and, and, and was able, probably the only person I've ever seen who was be able to really pick a pass out um, with his head so uh, and whatever player you've got up there you, you, of course you're going to play to his strengths you, you, that's just a, a, a natural thing to do um, I think Haaland uh, on some games can he can look limited in terms of his abilities as a, a natural centre forward um, but he's also shown great signs of improving as, as most players do you know they show dramatic signs of improving under Pep Guardiola um, and in fairness today I thought as a centre forward he was maybe better than he's been in, in other games and obviously he got his goal which I thought was a great goal the the obvious place to place that ball would be to the keeper's right and he and he, he dummied that if you like and, and, and placed it into the near post a fantastic finish again and his goal scoring record is crazy it, it, you know it's uh, I've been doing some work on it recently we um, I think Peter Dorsey was probably of, of people that have scored a decent number of goals for Man City, um, probably Doherty was the had the best goals ratio until Sergio, and then Sergio scores 
effectively uh, it takes him a one and a half games to score a goal if you discount substitute appearances it's 1.25 or something and Haaland's going to be more or less one which is, which is just absolutely unbelievable and, and as I say today I felt that his, his overall um, centre forward play was good you know was really good and, and then you combine that with getting a goal and you can almost say well if we get that out of him every game it, it's that would be a, a ridiculous output so I think I think the important thing today really was, um, was, to win, was to win the game. I know it's Brighton, but look, ignore the fact that it's Brighton. It's a really good Brighton team with a really good manager, a really good um, uh, tactical brain. So it's a, it's not a straightforward and an easy task. And I wouldn't say um, that we're becoming reliant on one man. We've got we have got goals in in other areas of the pitch. Um, and well, at least Alvarez who pops well, up yeah, all Alvarez the time and, and, and you know Phil Foden's goal scoring record I think you'll find is is really good um, and that you know Foden combining with Alvarez we've seen that in plenty of games notably probably the derby last season and we've got a derby coming up and um, so uh, there were there were obviously slight signs of worry over the last two or three weeks um, but I think more than anything it showed um I'm not going to say how we miss Rodri, but just how important a, a, a brilliant midfielder, a sort of destructive midfielder, but also a, a really creative midfielder when it comes to simple and straightforward passing is, is so important. Uh, so he, he, he clearly has been a, a massive loss. Uh, we've had a lot of games. We've had a lot of games uh, away from home, which, you know, you look at that and you've got, I think we had four out of five, uh, in a, in a row away from him, that was always going to be going to be tough, and the and the gap without a doubt is closing between um, the lower teams in the league and the and the higher teams. And you you know you can't put Brighton in the same bracket. You might this season put a Sheffield United or a Bol- or a, a Burnley or Luton. It, 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 you know they are a you know clearly a, a sort of top ten side. So the the importance was was getting the points. Um, after a few disappointing results and we've done that Yeah, I can't disagree with the word you're saying there however, we look at the games to come next week it's the Old Trafford Derby we're talking about league games here of course Mm -hmm. Old Trafford Derby, Chelsea's on the horizon I know there's Bournemouth in there then there's Tottenham and Liverpool going into this little phase of games the record is two defeats in a row and then this tight one do you feel City are in the right frame of mind going forward now? To because those four games against the sort of big four contenders, you'd argue, or I'd argue anyway, would be the ones that would de- not decide, but give us a really big clue as to whether City are going to do back-to-back titles again. You know, mm-hmm. the fourth one. Well, with, without doubt, and, and I, um, I would definitely, I'd be sat here saying, not automatically saying but we've shown in the past that we win those games and so we will be fine we are uh, clearly we, we've we've missed one of our most influential players of last year for the last three games in Rodri uh, we're without arguably our best player and we're permanently without our captain from last year who, who scores big goals and plenty of them and was incredibly influential but we've still got um, an awful lot of good players and the, there's no reason why we don't go to Old Trafford and, and win in fact I'd expect us to do that and even though it's only 2-1 today I would expect that that's enough to turn the confidence maybe back round anything that was lacking in the players to turn that back round and put us on um, the right path 
So I've no, I've no real worries or concerns. Uh, maybe not as much confidence that I'd have had last year. That's where we are. But hopefully, we're, you know, we're, there's, there's no reason to think we can't just go and win all those games. And, and a club of this stature and with the players we've got and the quality of players we've got. John Stones, by the way, is a, he's a major... I thought he was great today for the, the time he was on. And again, uh, his, his qualities for us are not now just defensive. I thought, um, again, to come back after so long and come back and play for England as well as he did in such a, what was such a big game and, and come back and do the same for us again I think he's absolute testimony to him um, and I think uh, Roger and John Stone's coming back and has been able to hopefully go on a this difficult run you're talking about with those players back in the team uh, and with other players who, who maybe aren't in the team at the minute raring, raring to go we should be okay I've got to ask you about you personally mm-hmm. um, you're working for the club now aren't you? Yes, I am, and delighted to be doing so. I, uh, um, when we first came over, so obviously when we were at um, Main Road, there, there were no hospitality uh, uh, facilities to to sort of host, and and, uh, and then we came here, and for the first couple of years, I, I did the sort of matchday hospitality as a former player, uh, and for whatever reason, I probably foolishly gave that up many years ago. Um, family commitments and stuff like that it was really uh, my circumstances have obviously changed over the last 15, 17 years as, as, as everybody's does and, uh, and I've been sort of um, wanting to get back involved for, for quite a long time but to uh, appreciate that it's, it's not as straightforward as that you can't just roll up and, and say I'm, a, I'm an ex-player I, I want to be working here otherwise you know you'd have and probably they do have hundreds of people saying, saying that very thing but uh, it's fortunate over the summer that I had the conversation again, and they said, "Yeah, we, it's the time's right." Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm delighted to be to be back here working alongside the likes of uh, you know Joe and Tommy and Peter, who, who I watched as a kid in back in the the mid 70s, and, and and obviously Richard and Paul and Ian um, and Alex, who I, I played alongside for. For a while, as, as you know, I, I got into the team in, in the you know mid to mid to late eighties into the nineties. So it's a great team. Uh, we do the different style. You know, the, the facilities in the ground, are, as you know, are absolutely incredible. And so they'll give myself and Lakey, you know, one of the stands, and, and we we have a wonder round. You can't go and talk to everybody, but anybody who looks up and. Uh, you know, obviously recognise you wants a picture or, uh, you know, an autograph. Obviously, you, yes, you'll do that. Every now and again, you'll get somebody to look up and ask for a, a new spoon or a fork because they, <laughs> <laughs> they think you're waiting on. But I try, we'd obviously, uh, we'd get somebody else to, to go and help them out with that. But it, it's great to be here. It's, there is there's clearly value to it um, for, you know, the fans do love it. The fans all have the, you know, the favourites, you know, myself and... Lake will wander around and you know one guy will be all over Lake in the next minute it'll be somebody who wants to talk to me or both of us or whichever it is so there's clearly value to the to the, the fans that are, are in it it does add value and and it's great for our egos and and uh, and it's great it's great to be back involved and um, you wouldn't have thought sort of 30 years later you'd still be able to share memories with with fans about games that happened as I say in the late 80s and early 90s but, but you, you clearly can so that's great uh, and it's just, it's just lovely to be back involved and lovely to be back involved in football and generally it's kind of spurred me on to I'm working on some events and shows now which are 
about the they, to be fair they were supposed to be about my history within the club last 50 years but I, it got me delving I uh, wanted to do an intro into about the history of the club and it got me delving back to all the way to 1880 and it's it's been absolutely fascinating doing that to the degree where when I you know I first said right I'm ready to go I'll practice these now I had about three and a half hours worth of um uh, of, of stuff and I've had to cut all that back down but it, it's it's been great you, you know the, the, it's, a, it's a fantastic football club with a despite what everybody says a, a, a really rich and interesting history and uh, a heart and it, absolutely as every club does like, you know that's um, we, it's it's easy to for the, the guys over the road to, to have a go at us and, and for for us to have a go at them we've, we've we've both as clubs suffered massive losses over the last couple of weeks as well and and you know obviously as we're standing as, here you know Bobby Charles yeah gone, ab- absolutely and uh, and uh, it's I've never been a City fan or a player that hates the Reds I just don't uh, don't do that I don't kind of agree with that and pe- people might not like me as, as fans but that's the way it is there's um, every football club has a heart you know whatever stories I can stand and tell about uh, about Man City and the history, there'll be the same story at United and Liverpool and Everton and Aston Villa, and that's why this this sport is, is such a such a wonderful thing, and, it, and it's so important to people. Uh, we see that every every game we you know hear how how truly important it is to everybody. Uh, so yeah, absolutely delighted to be back involved with the uh, with football in general, and, and particularly with this with this brilliant football club. So that's David White speaking to me. Uh, obviously, he talked about the game and he talked more generally, but also about his career now and uh, wishing well, of course, in all that. Uh, still got Will Perry to come, a broadcaster and godson of Francis Lee, uh, paying his tribute. Um, so let me ask you, Jake, you were in the ground and, and too young, obviously, to have seen Francis Lee play or even his stint as chairman. But when you look around at that ground and you see the big flag being unfurled down from the stand, and uh, does, does is the name Francis Lee register with you? Because I mean, if I speak about my own situation, I never saw Peter Doherty play, for example. I never saw Bert Troutman play, but I, I'm very well aware of their place in City's history. So I just wonder, from your perspective as a young fan, whether you know, there is an impact on you of somebody of Francis Lee's stature, you know, being paid tribute like that. Yeah, it was re- it was really good to see. And obviously even the, even Brighton fans in the away end were taking part in the minutes applause, which is obviously good to see. And yeah, I mean, the, on the Tannoy, it, it said everything. And the reaction from the fans said everything. He's one of the greatest players the club's seen. And obviously I'm, I'm way too young to have seen him, but it's... It, it was it was really good to see, and he he does resonate with him. obviously my days are more the the David Silver. So if, if someone asks me the the city greats, I'll I'll lean towards the David Silver because I just I just adored him. But he, he, there's always a place towards the top for the Agueros, Francis Lee, some of the did. So yeah, it, it, the name resonates with me. Obviously, I didn't watch him, but it, it's the the reaction from the fans just showed how great he was. Yeah, absolutely. As I say, another thing 
just a reminder, watch the post uh, post match vlog that I did because Mike Summerby was on there too, and obviously he's the less now of the 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 trio that get associated together. Um, the the Bell Lee Summerby and the statue will be opening to the three of them next month. I'm told. Um, I'll get Tony's views on Francis Lee a little bit later on as we come towards the the Will Perry interview. Um, but going back to to what you were saying before, Tony, um, about the the Newcastle game. Um, we've we've discussed on previous podcasts, um, and and I suge uh, suggested that the Newcastle game was one City might be better to lose. You obviously don't buy into that because now that 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 game is over, the next round would have been United, if, assuming that the same balls came out of the hat at Old Trafford just three or four days after the league game, and the fixture congestion, you know, goes on and on and on. And, because of the World Club Cup, uh, which takes place in December when the quarterfinals of the League Cup would be, I I think, without admitting it, that it suited Pep, it suited the players, it suited everybody at the club, and it certainly suited me, if I'm being selfish, that this, this year the League Cup didn't happen. But before you answer that question, Tony, I don't know if you saw the uh, the piece that Ian Ladyman did today uh, this, this week, and I retweeted the sort of headline from it, really, which his his angle was it wasn't specifically city it was big clubs and it was sort of the talk is now that FA Cup replays are going to be scrapped uh, the league cup semi final not being over two legs would be over one leg and his comment was don't listen to any managers players or clubs bleating about fixture congestion and being concerned about player welfare when all they really want to do is expand the Champions League, which they are doing next year, and bringing in the World Club Cup, which is like a until we've seen it, and you, you might you know, people might not conceive of this, but it's effectively another World Cup in one summer in 2025, which City will be in. The the, the fans of other teams might not, not care, but City will presumably play seven, eight, however many matches it is potentially if they go all the way. Um, so don't complain about it. So I put it to you that the Newcastle game suited City. And for all I know, it might be the under-21s that are representing City in the League Cup next year because um, of the extra Champions League fixtures. So does that make any difference to the way you're thinking? No. Um, I, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm a believer that, that obviously when there's a trophy there to be won, and there's a game there to be won. We've got a big enough squad and, 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 and a very good squad in terms of what we could have played on that particular game. So so for me, and, and you worry about the next game when and if you obviously... Momentum is one of the things you're talking about, isn't it? I, I am, yeah. And, 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 and you know, it, like I say, I mentioned obviously just previously about the Haaland situation. You don't know whether he, he could have got a goal in that game and then he would have gone on to get another couple against Wolves and then we're not looking at then a couple of defeats after that, uh, two, you know, two in the league and, and one in the cup. Um, you then add and bring in your own pressure. So um, I just I just don't buy into the fact that, you know, you're worrying about something because we could go out in the FA Cup in January and then, and then we've solved that problem. So, you know, it, it's it's kind of putting all your eggs in one basket. And I accept, um, and I think if I remember the last time, um, Liverpool were in a sim similar situation where they got to um, a World Club Championship and they pretty much played pretty, uh, an under-21 side or, or a very much a young side and they actually won the game. Um, because ultimately we, you know, we've got, we would have, we assume that the way that the balls have been driven and uh, the balls have been pulled out, we would have got Man United. Okay. So we, we just don't know which way that would have gone 
Um, so it meant that obviously we weren't going to get them in the in the quarter final. And who knows that another round takes another couple of premierships out. You really don't know. So I think to actually kind of take yourself out of that situation as as we did in that sense there, for me, it, it just doesn't it does doesn't make sense. You worry about games as you as you go along and and I and I think we've got a big enough squad and there are probably lots of players there that 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 within that squad that would have quite liked that extra them extra games. Uh, in order to sort of you know try and get themselves in the spotlight to to you know to be the next Rico or 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 a player of that ilk you know to actually get some sort of game time so and it, we're only probably ever going to give them them sort of game times in the respective cup competitions and 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 again you know depending on who you're playing um, that will determine how much uh, you know Pep decides to give these additional uh, games to some of the younger players that we've got I mean Oscar Bob for instance obviously we. You know, in that game in, in Newcastle, I, you probably won't see him again for for a good while now. So that, those are the sort of games that that, that players like that um, relish, and we've just taken we've just taken out of that 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 situation to be able to uh, uh, field some uh, younger lads or maybe some guys that are not getting game time at the moment. Interesting. I mean, obviously, City's next game now is Young Boys in Switzerland. Um, so. I look at the two fixtures because I know they don't play them literally back-to-back, -back, but the next two Champions League fixtures are young boys at home and away, so back-to-back -back in that competition. Yeah. And I'm yeah. fully expecting City to win both of those games yeah. and therefore have basically, maybe even mathematically qualified for the knockout stage with two games to go. Um, yeah. So I, I would expect City to go to young boys, win, and go into the derby, therefore, off the back of two victories, the one against Brighton and then the victory against Young Boys. Um, just before I come to you, Tony, on, on your thoughts on, on the derby, um, Jake, uh, this might sound like a daft question. It's not meant to be a daft question, but because you're a younger fan, you, you maybe look at it differently. When I was growing up, it was the Manchester derby was the be-all and end-all. Um, you know, everybody at my my two lads' schools were United fans, and they were the only two City fans that seemed to exist in the whole school. And so, and because they were winning trophy after trophy and dominating, beating United became our cup final. I mean, you know, City fans sing, you know, two up, two nil in your cup final and everything when we play other teams now. But that's you know, we admit it. That's what it was like. What's the Manchester derby mean to you? Is it different now? It's it is it is the same. Obviously, it's now well back before my time. It was sort of when the fixtures came out. The derby was the one that you look for. When do you play them at home? When do you play them away? It's sort of not with me. The derby's the one I, the one you you pin your weekend on. It's the, it ruins your weekend if you don't win it. It makes your weekend if you win it. But I think a lot of people now they sort of look at like an Arsenal this season. When do you play them? When do you play? When do you go to Anfield? When do you go to Spurs? But I think the focus has moved sort of away from the derby, but when I go to when I go out into into public or when I go to college, uni, whatever, United fans they're just everywhere, and you get a load of stick from them. So it the derby still means it still is the big game for City, but I do get it is it isn't a daft question because I think with a lot of people I think the focus has sort of shifted because we've sort of just we're just we're past their level now. We we go into that game as favourites. As weird as it it was once seemed that we would go into a derby as favourites, it it is like it is like that for people. They look at a Liverpool or like a Spurs or even like a 
Brighton for in a, in a, a lot of cases because they're the, they're the games that are now going to propel us to winning the title because we're our focus has now shifted from the derby being our cup final to we're going after the Premier League now for the fourth time in a row so we sort of look for the bigger games but for me the the derby is still the one at the Etihad especially but the derby's the one. I mean, Tony, you'll remember um, Fergie famously saying our derbies with Liverpool. You know, he he the, the whole of United mentality had shifted away from playing City in a derby to playing, you know, anybody that was a big club, exactly like Jake said, you know, the title rivals, which, yeah. you know, we weren't at the time. But that's not where we are, is it? No. And... Uh... But the problem is, and as, as Jake alluded to, what what is what has tended to have happened now is that it's kind of role reversal. So United are in that position where they're not going to win anything this year, or are very unlikely to. And so their big game, as far as they're concerned, are the two games against uh, Man City. So if they can put um, you know, a spoke in, in, in the wheel, as it were, in one of those games, then then these are the games that they're going to go into and look to get some sort of pride out of it from a fan point of view. Obviously, from a player point of view, you, you know it's it's different. It's a different kettle of fish. Um, but so that from that that point has changed. But when you go to these derby games, you do feel that that playing your neighbours. I mean, earlier today, Liverpool played Everton, and as much as it was probably when you look at it, it was expected for Liverpool to win. I thought they were quite fortunate today, and and Everton were were a bit unfortunate to to not get something out of the game if one or two decisions had gone well. So so it. And you could see the relief on um, Jurgen's face at the end of the game because it's a game that's it's out of the way. Because I do believe it is still one of those games where form books go out the window because you really just can't predict it in, in, in any way. Yes, we are expected to probably roll them over next week, but it doesn't necessarily always happen. And certainly when we've been playing at, at, at their place, to be honest, we probably play better at their place than we have at ours. So uh, it, it, it's it, it's one of those things. So... Um, it's it's something that I still I, I I don't look forward to it because like I say you know when, when in them sort of games they are very very difficult games and they're very tense and you can feel the pressure in them sort of games so you but it, it's a game that you that it's good to get our way early in the season um, because obviously once we play them again we you know hopefully we're in a better better position but. Um, and I think it was important that we got that win today. And as as you've alluded to, the Indian as well, if we then go and get our result in uh, midweek, then we're suddenly coming on the back of of two good results. But um, disappointing at the moment. Today. I, mean, I mean, it's not just the derby that's coming up. It's Tottenham. It's Liverpool. It's, yeah, 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 yeah. And Chelsea, of course, who yeah. were two 0 up against Arsenal. Uh, all right, they, they threw it away a little bit. But we can't even take that great game for granted. I just wonder what what your mood is now. Forgetting it's a derby just for a second, but but going to a big club who have a big mentality, who maybe have the emotion now of losing Bobby Charlton as well. I mean, I don't know whether there'll be a, a tribute at that derby. I'm sure they'll do something in midweek at the, the Champions League, but um, it would seem to me anyway appropriate to do something at that game as well because... You know, we're a Manchester club, they're a Manchester club. And I know we all joke about the fact that they're not from Manchester, but, you know, there is a kindred spirit. And yep. you know, it, it, obviously the, the irony isn't lost that we've lost Francis Lee and Bobby Charlton within a couple of weeks of each other. Um, but I wonder whether the emotion of all that might might also 
uh, you know, bully them along. And and I hear so much about the rivalry off the field and how United are jealous of City with the campus that we've got and the new commercial deals and we do everything. There will be angry people who will, in that United camp, who will want to put one over on City. Um, so does that worry you? And does, do these games that are coming up, you know, the, I mean, because you've just said, Jake, you know, I don't think City are perhaps hit the straps really and, and playing at the absolute best at the moment. Got some big games to come, haven't they? They, they do. Uh, is it a question for me? Yeah, yeah, you take it. Oh, yeah, we've uh, we've got some big... Uh, this, is, this is a period that if it wasn't so early, you'd have a sort of season-defining. But, I mean, we've shown that we can, we're probably one of two teams, I don't know, this new-look Liverpool team, whether they can put a, a proper win streak together. We're one of two teams that can go on a massive win streak. So it's not... We, we Well, let me say, we have certainly in the last couple of years been that team. So my question yeah, is, yeah. are we that team now? At this current stage, I'd say, I'd, the way we're playing, I'd say no. But again, we've seen a couple of years ago, after the signing of Ruben Diaz, we were, we were, we were about ninth until Christmas. And then we just turned it on. And I think we went at 20 games conceding seven goals. So... We, things can change. I mean, the, the return of De Bruyne in a couple of weeks or uh, months is going to be massive and, and that could just shuffle the pack for Pep full stop and we could see, I mean, the likes of Doku who will have more space now because you have to accommodate De Bruyne and Haaland. The likes of Foden who was, again, brilliant today and he's had an electric start to the season. So, at this current stage, I'd say no. But then, again, if if you were to ask me at the end of this pretty tough run, if we if we put a, th- a few wins together, it'll look like one. The international break came at the perfect time, off the back of the three three losses of four. Then if we go on, if we go to if we beat United, we beat Liverpool, we beat Chelsea, it all of a sudden looks like we've we've got the tough games out of the way. We've played a West Ham, we've played a Brighton. You're looking at thinking we've got the games like a, a Luton and and Bournemouth. It 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 sort of looks a bit better for City. So I. So I'd say, no, we're not the, the team that can string the wins together at the moment, but we've seen them do it from worse positions as they've given themselves now. So, Fair comment. So, Jake, do you think City are going to go and win at Old Trafford next weekend? I do, yes. I, I think they'll win convincingly at Old Trafford next weekend. Tony, uh, before I ask you a uh, questions about Francis Lee and, and, and Bobby Charlton, and we're going into our interview with... with um, uh, Will Perry, um, what are your thoughts on the derby next weekend? Do you feel optimistic that City, despite you know just about crossing the line against Brighton and the two defeats before that, do you think they'll go to Old Trafford and just be back to the very best? I think they know. I think this side um, or this squad of players know how to play games and they know how to get um, performances out of out of individual players. So. I don't expect it to be any any different. I think we'll go there. We will dominate. I think the worry was before is that we we have becoming slightly toothless. And I know it sounds really daft when you've got someone like Haaland in the side, but there was a little worry there. Um, but I feel that now he's got his goal today and I expect him to get a couple on in, in midweek that you've then got a fire in Haaland. Uh, and Doko has been a revelation. Doku, I think, has been a revelation and looks very dangerous. So I would like to see him included. And I think if he is, I think it makes a big difference and it opens things up. I do think about the KDB coming back. I think KDB brings the best out of Haaland. 
I think Haaland's adjusting by not having a KDB in the side. That's a big, a big thing for him. So if he can get over this, start picking up some goals, and when KD, KDB comes back, we've got over this period of three or four games where we're playing some of the, the you know, the teams that are around us. Uh, we can then look and see where we are come November, December time. So yes, uh, we will go to Old Trafford next week, and I do expect us to to beat them. I like your optimism, right? Um, just before we hear from Will Perry. Um... Francis Lee, I, I guess you probably didn't see him play, did you? I, I got to see him play a little bit uh, and and I, I just thought he was an amazing player. I, I knew him a little bit um, as a journalist as well. And obviously I, I had a forward with Franny or, you know, we want Franny uh, badge and all that when he came in as chairman. How would yeah. you sum up your experience watching as a fan of, of the one and only Francis Lee? Well, I, I, I mean... Again, I was I didn't actually see him play, but um, obviously I remember the the incoming Franny that, that everybody shouted for when obviously Peter Swales was 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 obviously on his way out, um, and the the amount of support behind Franny, as we said, badges and all sorts, the demonstrations outside the ground to make sure that this happened, and then that game that that he came in, I think it was the Ipswich game, if I'm not mistaken, when he was introduced to the crowd. It was just fantastic. And you could see from the older supporters there at that time, um, you know, how much that player, oh, sorry, how much that person meant. And I think a lot was expected of when he came in as chairman. Obviously, it didn't quite work out as it as it did, but he's certainly um, uh, revered. And and as you mentioned before, we're talking about Sir Bobby Chowton as well. Again, you know, one of one of the famous trio and or two of the famous trios that within each club, um, and it's such a sad passing that I heard about uh, to to Bobby today. So, um, you know, uh, my thoughts go out to his families, um, and and the same with Franny as well. And I think that there'll be no better reception. I think for two, would you say Mancunians? Possibly yes. When we go to Old Trafford next week, and I think it's a perfect time to celebrate both of them players and what they have done for Manchester as a whole. Uh, next week and I expect something and the clubs will get together and do something next week. Um, God rest his soul to, to Bobby and and the same with uh, Franny. Well said, Tony. Um, right, well, Will Perry is somebody that I've known for a long time. I worked with him alongside him at the BBC for a while. He was on commercial radio. He's now on Sky and you name it, he's on everything. Um, he's become quite a superstar. He also was a tour guide at City at one time and he's a lifelong blue and he will explain his own situation with Francis Lee in just a moment. But I can tell you that at Manchester Cathedral, he read out a eulogy and I know that this will have been a tough week for him. But before the game against Brighton, so we don't talk about that match, um, I spoke to Will and um, and got him to just um, just tell me a little bit about how he was feeling. And here's that, that chat. Uh, hi, Will Perry here, Francis Lee's um, godson, unofficial godson, actually, because I was never christened, but he was the, the godfather that I never had. He was a um, very good friend of my father. So my dad died in 1987 when I was three or four years old and Franny took over the role of being my football influence and took me to, to games from day dot going back to 1989 and the derby the 5-1 where Hinchcliffe scored the, the fifth up until the point you know where he was chairman and I sat with him here at, at the Etihad many many times uh, over the years so yeah many many memories with Franny watching football. So a sad day at the cathedral mm. um, but also an emotional day and, and uh, I suppose you try to make it uplifting I know you did a eulogy mm. And I know you would have wanted to do him proud. So 
what were you feeling? I mean, when I've done eulogies in the past for people I cared about, I couldn't hold myself together, but you're a professional broadcaster. <laughs> you, 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 you know, you've been doing it as long as I have. Did, yeah. Were you all together doing it? Yeah, d- d- just about until the end when I kind of went on a bit of a crescendo with just rattling off honours and accolades and Ballon d'Or nominee and First Division Golden Boot winner and, you know, World Cup quarterfinalist and blah, blah, blah and X amount of England goals in 27 England caps. I just kind of reeled off a load going into the end and, uh, you know, then people were sort of standing up and applauding, which is quite strange in a cathedral because that's not really what you normally get. But it was, you know, nothing to do with me. It was to do with, with him and what he'd done. And it was about me doing him a, doing him credit, really. Um, you know, I always say, I said at the, the beginning of the eulogy that I know he's rolling around in that box saying, you better get this right because um, you'd, be, you'd be correcting me on everything and stats and goals and figures and facts and whatever. But it was, yeah, Johnny, his son sort of said, look, you've got about eight or ten minutes. And I thought, well, that's a challenge in itself to get his whole footballing life. My, my eulogy was his footballing life. And obviously I have a lot of, a lot of memories, personal memories and... Um, lots and lots of little stories but one of the stories I told in the eulogy which got everyone chuckling was uh, one which I couldn't actually see anywhere on the internet and I, and I sort of pushed and pushed and pushed Franny to, to write his book and he, and he started to do it and for many reasons didn't finish it and I, and I said to him look one day you're going to pop your clogs and these stories will die with you and, and they have kind of you know because I even sort of spoke to Buzzer before and he couldn't really remember many of these things and Franny Land was a funny place because he put VAT on a lot of stories and blurred the lines of reality and, and the truth and that was his uh, that was him but yeah the, the great story I love was with um, and, and someone out there will be able to tell me what game it was because I can't remember the game they were on, to, on their way to a really important match and Franny and Mike were driving ahead in their car and you know back in the day you didn't necessarily all travel as a team and people travelled individually and anyway they were, they were driving ahead of Joe Mercer and Malcolm Allison and they thought right let's play this prank on them so they, they parked their, their convertible sports car up against the lamppost open up the bonnet pour some water on the engine and make it steam and they smothered ketchup over their faces and hung out the window and um opened up the doors and made the car look a bit of a mess and then about 10 minutes later the the car or the bus carrying uh, Alison and, and Mercer pull up and Joe Mercer gets out panicking thinking that he's lost two thirds of the Holy Trinity you know that was exactly the, the kind of guy he was he was an absolute wind up merchant an absolute wind up merchant but at the same time when you think you know you think back to the life that he lived in 79 years they don't make them like him anymore they don't make them like him anymore that get up and go um, not just football you know to be playing at the highest level in his football career you know like 1968-69 world-class football in Europe domestically and for England and then to be also running you know the guy used to get up at 4am to drive lorries before training to to shift around his his paper business and um you know, there's he nearly there's loads of little sliding doors moments as well. He nearly missed his England trial up in Newcastle, and he had to get a school teacher to drive him because he couldn't afford to get there. He was cleaving, cleaning gravestones with his his uncle Dan was a monumental mason, and he used to cleave, uh, clean gravestones with him in West Halton for for a bit of extra cash. You know that sort of determination and that unrivaled determination in business and in sport to get to the top is just. We don't see it. We do. We obviously do with sportsmen and women these days. But to have a business going in the back—I mean, look at the guys that are there. With all respect to you know to Mike and Joe Corrigan and Fred Eyre and you know, the older faces that I see around City all the time, but they've not—they weren't running a multi-million-pound business at the same time as trying to have a football career. And this guy managed to juggle those balls like perfectly. I had contact with him, of course. I remember two, which I'll—I'll I'll share mm. um, briefly. I was at his house yeah. um, and Standing he got 
yeah, yeah. Stanley Lanzo and I doorstepped him when he, he stepped down as chairman which <laughs> was awful I had to go there and doorstep mm. him you know which any journalist will know what that means mm. but he, he showed me all the plans for the new stadium mm. and how uh, you know he was going to try to move everything on he had loads of passion and, and he, but he sat there with a cigar in his fingers mm. and a glass of red wine lounging back in a leather uh, sofa yeah. and that, that's the image that, uh, that I remember most clearly but when I was writing Colin Bell's book because Colin and him had a fallout um, Franny was scared to death of what Fran- Colin was going to say in this book yeah. and he sent me a solicitor's letter <laughs> sort of basically saying if you said the wrong thing I rang him up and it was we, we smoothed it all over and you know but but he that was the thing he was passionate yeah. and he came back as chairman when I don't think he needed to he did it because he cared. Mm-hmm. I know some fans will look back on his time as chairman and say it wasn't as good as it could have been. Yeah. But he did everything from the heart, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Well, it was a disastrous chairmanship. He would tell you that himself, but not through the want of trying. You know, the mess that he took over the club with Peter Swales in 94. And I remember being at Main Road in that, that around that, that period, you know, with this, I remember he had a sort of green master's jacket, didn't he? When he, when he was there with his hands, his arms aloft. Um, you know, 1994 you remember what, what was happening but God knows how many managers we had in that period from 94 to 98 when he left you know from getting the ball in the corner against Liverpool and we thought we needed a draw and you know Alan Ball running up the touchline it, it was that was when the typical City tag really was came into its own right but the guy pumped in a lot of his own money into that football club I remember being in, in uh, the basement in Stanley Lands where he had a snooker table where I'd lost repeatedly to him many many times um, when we signed Georgie Kinkladze and taking the facts it was a brother facts you know he used to sponsor his brother taking the facts up to his office and all that sort of stuff I think we signed Tashadzi and a few other Jordans at the same time as well but um, yeah he, he desperately wanted it to work and I think when you take over a football club as a chairman particularly back then your your heart is ruled sorry your, you know your head is completely ruled by your heart and and he just he, he, he was telling people they were going to finish in the top four and he believed that don't, don't forget we lost a lot of decent players Keith Curl in, in the early days and Flitcroft and you know, a lot of players went for various different reasons um, but you know Franny this is the thing this, this was his passion and even when he left and the fans wanted it to work forward with Franny all that sort of stuff his famous quote really is if there were there were cups for cock-ups that, then you wouldn't be able to move in City's boardroom you know but he also said to me that one day these players are going to be the best paid in the world and we'll drink champagne until we're hoarse well those words have come true haven't they many many years later but he was um, and some, you know for, for the sort of gobshite for want of a better word that he could have been at times he, he, he underplayed his role we stood outside the Etihad now you know the guy and Howard Bernstein played a pivotal role in this in getting us to this to this stadium where would City be without that you know and other people have different opinions and so on but Franny put these plans in place to, he didn't want to build the Kipax he had to spend £16 million on the Kipax which is why we couldn't sign any players you know, it was very easy from the outside to say oh well we did this you know, he didn't pump any money and he pumped a lot of money into that football club never got any money back from it obviously had a successful toilet and tissue paper business but not enough to keep a football club afloat with signing multi-million pound players um but yeah, you know, I have many memories back there at Main Road with him. You, you mentioned the cigar. I used to, I, my first memories are the smell of Malcolm Allison and Franny's cigars when you could smoke at football matches and the little cigars in, in the back of the seats and the, the, the boardroom um, chairs, you know, in the director's box, box at Man City. And, uh, and just little things. You know, I remember watching games with him where, and I've been to, as you, you have cheesy as well, you know, God knows, what, 5,000, 6,000 football games? And, you know, you've probably got double, triple that over the years. It would be sitting at a, at a match and after two minutes you go that ball's not pumped up and we'd all be like shut up Franny what are you on about you know and then two minutes later the referee comes over swapping the ball over you know little things that you could see just with that that football expertise um, yeah and football's lost a, a huge huge character because 
as I've said, they, they do not make people like that anymore. And let's not forget, for I was lucky enough to see him play, I'd still say he would get in this team. Yeah. I genuinely think yeah. that. Um, he was clinical, he was direct, and he was motivated, mm. and he had more skill than people gave him credit for. Mm. So let's not forget that. Obviously, there was the tribute at the cathedral, mm. and I've been talking on my vlog today about the football family, the city family. Mm. Franny Lee was absolutely that, wasn't he? he was, mm. I mean, even after he'd finished, he scored that goal for Derby. Just look at his face and all that. But he was Manchester City. Yeah. He was part of the family, wasn't he? Yeah, 100%. And, you know, interesting, very interesting look at his face. Barry Davis was there at the funeral, which was lovely, because that was one of my lines in the, uh, in the eulogy, you know, being etched into folklore. And um, it was strange because, you know, you're not really supposed to turn around at funerals, are you? But I did it a few times just to sort of, just to get an idea because you, you, otherwise you, people walk out and their heads are down and, you know, Johnny and Nick, his sons, and um, we're, we're carrying the coffin. So then you don't really get to look around. And um, Everyone was kind of invited. We, you know, I organised the funeral with the family and we didn't really want to make it into something that potentially we couldn't control. So we didn't want thousands and thousands down there, even though Franny would have loved that because he was a man of the people. And he was, that's, that's the words, right? He was a man of the people. And... Um, and it was great that there were so many people there to, to pay their respects from, from Alan Oakes to, as I say, Barry Davis. And, um, uh, you know, I, I looked across and, and you could see people like, um, well, Farland from, from Derby, I think maybe Alan Hinton. There were people from Bolton, uh, Hallows from Bolton. You know, guys that are still clinging on because that was a long, 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 long time ago. But, you know, again, the younger bunch, like Micah Richards coming over and sitting behind Mike Summerby and it's so important to have those younger guys there because you know, even someone like Micah who would have only met Franny on a handful of occasions this is the thing with Franny you, you, you only really needed to have like everyone many people shared a, a, a drink with him many, many people shared a pitch with him and a moment with him but you only needed two, three minutes with him, you know, good or bad, as you remember. You know, he could, he could blow your legs off in two minutes or he could, uh, he could make you feel top of the world. And that was, for someone who was five foot seven, character oozing out of, of every orifice. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's fitting that today for the Brighton game that we're, we're going to have a big, big tribute to him. There's a beautiful picture on the front of the programme. Were you there at 68 in Newcastle? Yeah, so that, that's him, you know, celebrating that, that goal there is sort of in a cartoon style on the front of the programme and a big banner. I think the same image is going to be unfurled and it shouldn't be forgotten. And thankfully, and the club, I've got to say, have been fantastic, as they should do, because, you know, he was a legend of this football club. But the statue's being unveiled I think on the 28th of November the Lee Bell and Summerby statue which Mike's the only one left you know I spoke to Mike at the, he's like he feels that he's the only one left and it's important we celebrate people like that by the way Tony Book I should mention as well was there at 89 years old doing interviews outside I mean what a guy what a guy you know a captain of that football team and 10 years older than Franny by the way because Franny was 79 but 89 and he came to the wake I had a beer with Tony at the wake so you know people like that we have to remember speaking to Danny Wilson we have, and even if I could do my bit and you can do your bit cheesy you know, we, we need to with this football club because if I've got another 30 years and I'm, I'm no one here but I can still remind people of those days and it's so important to not forget our, our past and where we came from and he was a huge part of that Absolutely I've got one final question which I know that some of the fans listening to this will say ask him this question because mm. I don't think he ever told me well, I'm with Steve Koppel. Did he ever tell you that? <laughs> no. Do you know what? He kept so many things secret. Because this is the thing with Franny. Like, I asked him also what, what was actually said, you know, the words that were actually exchanged with Norman Hunter. You know, and I sort of referred to it as like, remember, remember the 1st of November, 19, whatever it was, was it 70? And, um, uh, you know, like about to kind of 
to, to, to go up with Fraser and Ali. And, and, and I, I because obviously as a kid, you think, especially when YouTube started knocking about, everyone used to watch that. Like, what did he actually say? And he, just would, he would never really tell me. Obviously, it was about the diving, but he wouldn't say the word. Like, great stories that he, um, Tommy Doherty, I remember sitting in Main Road with Tommy Doherty. So many of these stories will be lost, and I can, I'm struggling to remember them. But the doc told me um, when Franny was playing for Bolton against Arsenal uh, at Highbury. Franny would have been what 16 or something and he was a winger back then at Bolton he only became a striker here at City still scored 106 goals in 210 games mental from a, from a wide man and, um, and Tommy Doherty said to him look he just grabbed him basically after he ran past him he said if you if you effing run past me like that one more time I'll break both of your legs and just pull him in and, and Franny's response in perfect Franny land uh, uh, fashion was you'll have to catch me first you fat something something <laughs> and that's just that's just what he was but um, another quick one as well David Ellery remember the referee David Ellery he was my um, he was my geography teacher bizarrely at school and he you know, very sort of posh and stern and strict and no one really liked him at school everyone was scared of him I, I liked him because we had a bit of a mutual respect he's now unfortunately for him runs IFAB and gets a lot of stick with Kalina but um, you know I respected what he did and you know I remember being at Old Trafford when he sent um Roy Keenoff for the Alfinger Harland and I was still at school at that stage anyway long story short I went to a game against Coventry Gordon Strachan was manager it was the FA Cup game so it would have been about 99, 2000 something like that and, um, and I'd flown up from London and Franny had picked me up for, to the, from the game we went down to the board uh, to the main road got into the boardroom and again I was only about 16 or something Franny's pouring me wine I'm thinking oh, what's going on here um, and uh, so then we're, we're sitting there and the, we're looking at the team sheets and I look at the back and I'm like, oh my God, Ellery's the referee. I think if he sees me, I'm, I'm done, I'm expelled, right? I'm, I shouldn't, because it was a boarding school, I shouldn't have been out of school. Um, and then Franny, a couple of glasses of wine later, he, he used to carry this big wad of cash like those sort of successful entrepreneurial figures from the, those, those times did. And he said, like, just go down and give this to, to Ellery. And I was like, oh my God, where's this going here? So we went down and he's sort of like creeping along behind me. And we knocked on the referee's door and Ellery opens it and he's like, Perry, what the hell are you doing here? I'm thinking I'm done for I'm expelled and, um, and I went uh, sorry Mr Harry the, the chairman Francis Lee told me to give you this and he said you'll know what to do and his linesmen who were behind him at the time both naked like getting changed thinking what is going on thinking they're embroiled in some massive scandal and then Franny comes around and gets Ellery in a headlock and he's like Ellery you little so and so so you know so so many stories what was the one you asked me oh Steve Koppel yeah he, you know, he, kept, he kept like things like that so quiet and so private and you know even that Norman Hunter fight for example he was so embarrassed by it. He didn't want to be remembered by it. You know, everyone else, it's the first thing they ask him, God, what did he do? Well, I wish he'd hit him harder and double whatever. He, 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 you know, I think his family were embarrassed by it. He didn't want to be remembered for that. He was a very proud guy and had a great sense of humour. But at the same time, he wanted to be taken seriously. Like, he didn't like all the, the diving jabs and whatever. And, and obviously, we saw him dive, dive in inverted commas. Keith Hackett, the old referee's chief, used to say he was a player who liked to fall down very easily. Um, and he did. He won a lot of penalties and he scored a lot. But he'd point out as well that actually, in, in the season where he still holds the record for, I think it's 15 penalties. 15 of his 35 goals came from the penalty spot. But I don't think he won one of them. Or maybe he won one. You know, it was, it was for the other players and he just stuck them away. So what I'm trying to say is, you know, those, like he, he would, I don't think, that, uh, I think there's only really Steve and maybe a few other people would know exactly what, what happened. He was a very private guy in that sense and um, but I should say he was he, he's one of these guys that he would treat the Prime Minister and the Queen as the same as someone in a local pub in West Horton and that is to his credit and that, I think there's not a lot of people like that these days especially as in high up positions and the kind of life that he lived playing golf with so and so and so and so in Barbados and Portugal but he he would treat everyone exactly the same I think that's a very old school value that we've, we've lost and yeah he's, he's going to be sorely sorely missed by obviously Jill who's been with him for God you know 40 odd years um, 
and you know Nick and Johnny are about my sort of age Gary's older son unfortunately passed away last year and Charlotte is his daughter and uh, there's been a lot of death in that family recently and it's you know and um we're here today to, yeah, to celebrate Franny and to, to make sure he gets the send-off he deserves and remind all those youngsters of who that little five-foot-seven, blondie-waved locks guy was all about. So that's Will Perry um, speaking about Francis Lee principally, um, but also he's a big blue, big broadcaster, and we'll, we'll get him back on the podcast and have him on live one, one week and, and have a proper city natter with him because he's, he's about as blue as you can get and... Uh, and he he's he's older than he looks. <laughs> I hope he doesn't mind me saying that. So yeah, his history goes back quite a long way. Uh, anyway, I just want to say thanks for everybody for listening. Thanks very much to Tony and to Jake for their contributions today. Um, also, of course, to AMR Development UK for their support, which is very much appreciated. We'll be back with another podcast after the Manchester Derby. Andy Morrison has uh, promised to come on that one and uh, give us his debrief on the Manchester Derby. In the meantime, uh, as I say, have a look at the YouTube channel um, and see what I put up there today. I'll be doing a, another vlog out in Switzerland in midweek, so uh, keep following that. And uh, thanks very much for, for all your sharing and caring and everything. And my own uh, best wishes to the families of Franny and to Bobby Charlton, to absolute uh, legends. And the one thing I would say, just to finish off with, is was when I wrote... Colin Bell's autobiography, Reluctant Hero, um, Colin asked me if I could ask Bobby if he would write the foreword. So I contacted Bobby's uh, office um, and he agreed to do it and he met me at the Four Seasons Hotel, as it was then, uh, near the airport. And um, we had a lovely breakfast together. He, I remember him paying for it as well, which was uh, quite nice. And we sat there for, I don't know, an hour, hour and a half or something like that. What a gentleman, what a lovely fella. And uh, it was just, it was an honour for me to be in his company apart from anything else. And he, if you read the, the book at any time, the Colin Bell book, you will see pretty much word for word what he said to me uh, in his tribute to uh, to Colin. So we've lost Colin. Unfortunately, we've lost uh, Bobby now and Francis as well. But um, they'll never leave our hearts, I'm sure. Even across Manchester, you know, we all admired Bobby Charlton. What a great man. Anyway, thanks very much for listening. And uh, just remember this one thing. You know, if you forget everything else that you've heard on this podcast, just remember this one thing. It's great to be a blue. <laughs>